I think they're going to show you a picture here. And if you know who this is, don't, don't say it to anybody. Just how many of you know who that is? Raise your hand if you know who that person is. Anybody here? A few of you? A few of you know who that is? Let me, let me give you a, a, a couple of hints. He's a restaurant owner. Does that key anybody in? Does that help anybody know who it is? He, his company recently built uh, a restaurant in our community. Does that help you know who it is? Cows love him, chickens hate him. Does that help you? His name's Truett Cathy. About 35, 38 years ago, someplace in that area, I had a chance to have dinner with, with Mr. Cathy. He was here in Springfield opening Chick-fil-A when it first opened in the mall years ago. How many remember when Chick-fil-A was in the mall? And uh, he was here back in those days. He had a, a dinner for all of his new employees just before the store opened. And he was having this dinner. It was going to be at Maldoners, and I had been asked to come. Some had gotten my name some way. And I'd been asked to come and pray that evening for the meal and pray at the close of the event. And so I had gone down, and several of our students were going to be working uh, for Chick-fil-A at that time, and I had been invited, so I'd, I got invited down to come and pray that evening. And when I got there, I was taken up to the head table and got to sit right next to Mr. Kathy. Uh, he, he was already in the process of building the culture of service that Chick-fil-A is famous for. That night, he shared his story that, that, that he and his brother Ben had been in the restaurant business for a long time before, they opened the first, before he opened his first Chick-fil-A in a mall in 1967. For over 20 years, they had run the Dwarf House restaurant, just the two of them, the only two employees, for over 20 years in Atlanta, working and developing the principles of service and friendliness and things that we now experience when you go to a, a Chick-fil-A. He spoke to them up that night. I remember he talked that night about how he had experimented with the batter and experimented with how to fry the chicken and prepare the chicken and how he'd experimented with, with uh, what to put on the chicken and had come down to decide uh, just all it really needed when he had the batter right was just a pickle. And so thus, when you get their original sandwich, you get a sandwich with a pickle. And he talked about how they developed their lemonade and how important the lemonade was and all these things that they were doing at Chick-fil-A. He also spoke that night about not being open on Sundays. And he told the, the people there, he said, we don't open on Sundays to give you a chance to be with your family and to go to church. And I hope you'll go to church and I hope you'll spend time with your family. All of those things were impressive things as he spoke to them. He'd already started at that, what would, at that time what would become known as the Windshape Foundation, which was, to, was the intent of which was to train leaders and to give academic scholarships 
to team members so they could have some scholarship money for college. That had already begun. Later, he would open the Windshape Homes, which provides long-term housing for foster care children. And later, they would open Windshape Camps, which provided children faith and character-focused summer camps that they could go to and hear about God and they could speak to them about character. All of those things are impressive and all the things that he said that night uh, to, the, to the group were impressive. However, I would tell you, the conversation that, uh, that he and I had just sitting there having dinner together was what impressed me the most. He shared some things in those moments he didn't share with the whole group. He asked me about my ministry and what we were doing and what our church was all about. And then he began to talk about his church. How he had been, how he, how he taught a Sunday school class for 12-year-old boys. At that point in time, he had taught that class for over 20 years. Before he would resign, he would have taught that class for over 50 years. 50 years of 12-year-old boys. That takes some faith, doesn't it? <laughs> the boys that came to his class, he would take them when he was there. He would take them home with him on Sunday afternoon. Take them out to his farm. He would feed the boys. He would do some things with the boys. And he told me, he said, I have go-karts out there and I have a pond that they can fish in and I do all sorts of things with those boys on Sunday afternoon. Just trying to invest in the lives of young men. And they said, when it gets towards evening, my wife and I will get them in our van and we'll take them home and get them back to their parents. He spoke with great love and compassion about his desire to make a difference in each one of these boys' lives before they became teenagers. In the years to come, he would write and talk about the fact that chicken was simply a tool to accomplish his real purpose in life. And he would say, my real purpose in life is honoring God and helping people. What's your purpose? Have you thought about it? To a Kathy somehow had managed in those years of life to work through all of the busyness and the activity and the dreaming of success and all of those things to get down to why am I really here? What is my life really about? Is it really about opening the 2,000th chicken store like they did in Springfield? Or is it about something more than that? Took Kathy passed away a few years ago. But some of that vision and some of that purpose lives on today through his family because he wanted to plant this seed that what we're here to do is honor God and help people. Have you given thought to what your purpose? Why did God create you? What, when Jesus built his workmanship into you, what was the real purpose of the giftings he gave you, of the talents he gave you, of the passions he gave you. What was the real, what's the real purpose of those things? What are they really supposed to be spent on? What are you really supposed to be doing? 
See, remember, friends, grace is free, but favor is earned. But if you want to walk under the favor of God, you have to know your place and you have to know your purpose. You have to know your place before God and your purpose in this life if you want to walk in favor with him. We come into the kingdom of God by grace. Unearned favor of God. The unearned blessing of God. We don't deserve it. We don't work for it. We don't have to pray so many prayers. We don't have to attend church so many times. We don't have to do anything except receive by faith the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. The unearned favor of God. But in that moment, Christ does a work in us. And we become the workmanship of Jesus. Created to do good things. Not created just to sit. Not created just to do things for ourselves, But created for good works in Christ Jesus. To do good things. Now listen, listen to this passage with me today in Romans chapter 8 as we think about coming into the kingdom. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you have faith in Jesus. You will be saved. There's two things here. We confess with our mouth, we believe he is Lord and we believe that he's been risen from the dead for our sake. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So hear me. Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Those are two different things. Don't, don't think he's just saying the same thing over and over again. Jesus is Lord, and he can be your Savior. Many want him as Savior, but we miss this concept that we have to accept him as Lord. Now, I want to be clear about that. We do not in some way bequeath to him. We don't in some way say, okay, uh, I'm, I want to be in your kingdom, so I'm going to surrender and uh, uh, sign the contract that you're now my Lord. No, 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 that's not what we do. We accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. We accept it. We acknowledge it. See, he is Lord even if you don't acknowledge him as Lord. Every mouth will confess that he's Lord. But it's just not, he's just, he, but he can, he can be our Lord and not be our Savior. Now I can rebel against his lordship I can do my own thing instead of his thing. I don't have to bow my knee to his lordship on this earth. I will bow my knee to his lordship someday in heaven. In the throne room of God. So when I come to Christ, I'm coming to him. Recognize that, that I'm going to answer to him for my life and how I act and what I do. And he is the lord of my life. Last week we, we, we talked about this fact that we find favor when we walk in humility recognizing that we need God for all things. Today, the second part that I want you to understand is that to walk in favor, 
We need to recognize him, accept him as Lord of all things. If you want the favor of God in your life, then in all areas of life, he is Lord. Let me, let me see if I can put this clearly. Jesus owns everything. We are simply stewards of what he has given to us. That's hard for some of us to grab a hold of at times. But every breath I take, I take in him. It's all because of him. My body is his. To do with as he pleases and to order and direct as he pleases. I, my free will accepts his lordship over my body. The talents that I have are on loan from God. For me to be a good steward of them or to not be a good steward of them and to answer for that stewardship. The children that he entrusts me to raise are his. They belong to him. And I am called to raise them for his glory. Not my glory, not so everybody says I'm great, for his glory. So they'll see him in them. My spouse is his, and he's blessed me with her. And I'm supposed to honor her and treat her as a blessing from God into my life. My home is his. The possessions that I have are his. They all belong to him. Someday I will surrender them all. I won't be able to take any of them to the grave with me. I will go and stand before God and I will answer for what I did with his stuff that he entrusted me with. Did I use it selfishly? Did I use it generously? Did I use it to bless others? Did I hoard it for myself? Everything I have is his. My money is his. He tells me what to do with a tithe of it. He'll speak to me about offerings he wants me to do. He tells me to take care of my family with it. He tells me all sorts of things to do with it, but at the end of the day, none of it's mine. It's all his that he's entrusted to me. This is a concept of understanding the lordship of Jesus Christ that many people miss. And then we resist that lordship and we wonder where the favor is. My life and health are his. The implications of this are huge. It is worldview changing. When I begin to walk through life understanding, it's not my life to do whatever I want to anymore. It's his life. What does he want me to do with it? How does he want me to live? How does he want me to spend my time? How does he want me to spend the, the, the energy he's given me? How does he want me to spend the money he's given me? How does he want me to spend the talents that he's given me? Where am I supposed to pour these things out at? And what am I supposed to do with them? At work, at home, in school, in my culture, in my day, my life. He is Lord. When I come to him with my mouth, I confess it. And in my heart, I believe he's risen from the grave. 
and I recognize that he's hard. He's Lord of my life. This is hard. It's hard for many you know, who, of us who want to be independent and think we're doing things on our own and we're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and it's our talents. But where did, your, where did your ability come from? Where did all of this come? Where did life come from? It comes from him. See, again, God does not ask us to surrender these things to him. We are asked to acknowledge that they have always been his. And we are stewards of them. I'm stewards. I'm a steward of the breath he gives me. I'm a steward of the life he gives me. Jesus talks about lordship so many times. He talks about the about the servants that the master comes to and he gives one so many talents and another so many talents and one just one talent and then he goes away and then he comes back and he says, bring back to me what's mine. And they're expected not only bring back what he gave them, but they were supposed to have used it. And the ones who did that and did it well, he blesses them and gives them even more. And the one who buried in the ground and did nothing with it, he said, take that, even take that one away from me. And give it to one of these others. It's a message about lordship. He talks about the vineyard owner who leaves some people to manage the vineyard. And then he sends some people back to get some of the things that they're supposed to be doing. And they beat them and resist them and finally kill his son. And he asks the people, listen, what's going to happen to those people? And they said, they're going to be wiped out when the Lord comes back. He, he talks about the manager who doesn't know the day the master's going to return. And he says, now listen, the wise steward, the wise manager, he's living every day with the thought that the master's coming back at any moment. Again and again and again throughout the parables and throughout the stories of Jesus, he weaves into this, this understanding that God is Lord of all and we are the stewards of what God has given to us. And if you want his favor, you walk as a wise steward of the things that God has given you. In the kingdom of God, we are his workmanship, created new creatures in him. Creation, again, speaks to ownership. He created us. He forms us. He makes us. Creation speaks to value. You're not an accident, friend. Oh, this world, this world may have beaten you up. The choices you have made may have robbed you of a sense of value. The words other people have said to you may make you, you feel like you are pretty worthless and there's not much for your life. The circumstances of your life may be wearing you down. You may not feel like you, you, you know that your life is of any worth, but listen, you are the creation of God created for good works in Christ Jesus. The enemy may be trying to destroy that in you. God wants to build that in you. He wants to raise you to a place and use you in a way that will make an eternal difference in other people's lives. Will I be the creation of God? Creation not speaks to value, and creation speaks to purpose. We were created for a purpose. For what? For good works in Christ Jesus. So I think Truett Cathy had it right. 
when he said, my purpose is to honor God and help people. And for him, that, one of the things that meant was 50 years in a preteen boy Sunday school class. It means something different for every one of us. Every one of us have that place where we're supposed to be saying, this is one of the things God created me for. And understand as we walk through life that we're looking at our life saying, God, why did you put me here? Why did you create me to be able to do this? Why did you give me these resources and these talents and these abilities? I want to honor you with them. And I want to help your other creatures with them as well. To walk in favor, you walk in dependency on him for all things. As we talked last week, and to walk in favor, you walk with this understanding that nothing is ours, but we live to do his will in all things with what he has given us. So here's the big question of the day. Are you going to live your life or are you going to live the life God created for you? Are you going to live your life? It's my life. I'm going to do what I want. Or are you going to say, God, it's your life. Show me what to do with what you've given me. The outcome of that is eternity changing. Have you accepted his place as Lord of your life? Or is he just a Lord of a portion of your life? Just a segment of your life. See, this changes how I talk when I realize that he's given me a voice. How I react and what I say. What does he want me to do with the voice he gave me? It changes how I spend time. What does he want me to do with the time that he gives me upon this earth? Not what do I want to do with it. Not what, not, not what do I think I've earned. What does he think I've earned? What does he put me? Where does he place me? Money. What does he want me to do with the money he's given me? When I live with him as Lord... And when we live with him as stewards, the discussion changes from what does he want me to do with this. To, the discussion changes to what does he want me to do with this. Does he want me to use my voice to curse or does he want me to use it to bless? What does he want me to do with this? And when I come to that point, favor is the added power of God coming into my life in these places of life where I walk under his lordship. In the favor factor, I am his. Again, I think Truett Cathy had it right. I'm supposed to honor God and help people with what God has given me. Does that sound right to you? I want to challenge you today to live by faith. To do things God's way because you belong to him. This won't always be easy. It won't always feel natural. But it will bring the favor of God. So here's the question. Are you living by faith? We've got a few minutes here before we have to go. And I, I've got a little, there's a line on your notes there. And I want you to write on that line, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? And then under that line, there are seven 
very simple points. Is Jesus Lord of my language? Is Jesus Lord at work? Is Jesus Lord of my relationships? Is Jesus Lord of my money, my gifting, my time, and my values? I'm going to ask Dan to come up, and we're going to, I'm just going to ask him just to softly play an instrumental for us. And I want to encourage you to take, we're going to take about three, four minutes here. And just kind of, I know you're sitting right next to somebody, most of you. Just kind of shut yourself away from them. This isn't about them. This is about you and God. Just kind of look down at these notes and one by one go through them and say, Lord, am I letting you be Lord of my language? Did I let my flesh be the Lord of my, langu- of my language this week? Did some place that I let loose? And Lord, am I letting you be the Lord of my time? And just work your way down through that list quietly as Dan plays. And just listen to the voice of God speaking to you. All right. Take a moment with the Lord today. The sincere heart before God is a heart that's open for self-examination. It's searching and looking for ways to live a God-honoring life. And so when we come to a moment like this, and it's easy for me to go, okay, Lord, are you, are you Lord of my language? I may, he may speak to me, and I may find correction and direction in that moment. But that's, part of that is the sign that my heart's open for that. When I sit here and I go, I, I'm, not, this is, I'm not doing this. That's pretty much a sign that I know the answer already and I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about is God the Lord of my time? Because that may mean there's some things that I'm doing that he's going to ask me to do them differently. But if I want to live this God-honoring life and I want to walk in the favor of God, you've got to live with that examination in your life. You may not have had time to get through all seven of them today, but you can take this home and set 15 minutes aside someplace this week and say, you know what, I'm going to go through every one of these. I'm going to think about them. I'm going to let God speak to me. I'm going to ask him what he thinks. And it begins to direct my mind to things. I'm not going to flee from them. I'm not going to make excuses for them. I'm just going to listen and see how he'd make my life different if he was really Lord of every area of my life. I'd like to ask you to stand with me today and prayer teams if you would would you come on down right now in just a second we're going to sing a, a song and as we sing if you have any need in your life at all maybe something God spoke to you about just today and you need some direction from God on it maybe maybe a health issue some other issue in life come down let somebody pray we believe prayer makes a difference Come and let somebody pray with you today. Now, here's the big one. If you've never put your faith in him to be the savior of your soul, you've never accepted that he's the Lord of your life, you need to do that before you leave this place today. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. The only guarantee we have is that someday 
we're all going to stand before God in judgment. That's your guarantee. And the thing that I can do today is be ready for that moment by receiving Christ into my life. So whatever your need is, if you have a need, come on down, let somebody pray with you. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Live by faith in him. It brings his blessing. Amen? Amen. I love you. Worship the Lord, and then Dad will dismiss you in just a moment. God bless you. Grace and peace.